So we are in First Corinthians chapter two tonight. We're going to be going through the whole chapter, and a lot that I want to try to cover in this in this chapter. It's only sixteen verses, but uh, there's some pretty deep things that I want to try to uh, get to. And so I don't want to spend a whole lot of time reviewing. Hopefully you all uh, remember last week's message. Hopefully you all have been paying attention. I don't know if you all listened to 1 Corinthians last week. I didn't. I have to confess, I didn't get through 2 Corinthians. We, we all listened to 1 Corinthians on the van way back, and we got about three chapters into 2 Corinthians. We never finished it. But 1 Corinthians, hopefully it's fresh in your mind. And so uh, we're not going to repeat everything from last week. But when we get to chapter 2, verse 1, it says... And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. And he, remember in the previous chapter, he talked about how the Jews require a sign, the Greeks seek after wisdom. Some people like the fancy talk. Some people want to look intelligent, sound intelligent. They want to hear something that will make them feel like they're somehow superior to everyone else, above everybody else, smart or whatever. But Paul, when he came, that's not what he did. That was not how he started this church. He did not come with any excellency of speech. He didn't come giving him something decent. He came with something very simple. And I believe when it comes to preaching, when it comes to teaching, we ought to keep things bottom shelf. We, we really should. And I'm here today to tell you that this concept of, I might remember my message a while back on brute beasts and their feigned words. I am continuing to see just people mislead and just throw people off and distract with their big fancy theological terms. I don't believe there is any profit to that whatsoever. I am not declaring a rule that one cannot use extra biblical terms, that we can't name a doctrine, but I'm telling you the confusion that comes with that is just off the charts. And again, people are, you know, there's been a lot of discussion when we were at the conference down in Florida. It's like, you know, replacement theology, that term, it sends the wrong message to a lot of people. And, you know, and a lot of us were talking about how we don't really like that term, but it's like, what do you call it? Well, the problem with naming something, if, if you give it a name, then that means you get to define it. And it's just like, do we really need to name something if what we're preaching is straight out of the Bible? But the thing is, and I think one of the reasons we like to name something is because it's very carnal to want a label, to try to create a camp. And it's just, sometimes I think it's better. It's like, you know, what do we call what we believe about salvation? You know, and people always want to put you in a category and put you in a box. Like you're one of those easy believism. And it's like, okay, well, I do believe salvation is easy, but they want to attach other things to it that are also attached to easy believism. And in some things that we would totally agree with, some things we don't really agree with, some things that people misrepresent. So the thing is, all these terms, all these labels, they're very unprofitable. And I think many times they cause confusion. And so it's, it is, it's nice to just be able to have a package and say, yes, I am replacement. Yeah, I am whatever. I am dispensational. I'm Calvinist, I'm whatever. But again, you know, the, the things aren't always that simple. They, they really aren't. And we ought to just be able to explain what we believe about something. And typically, when you got to get, you know, when you start doing all those things, it's because your doctrine is complicated. 
and it's not biblical. That's why Calvinists, they have their doctrines of grace, as they call it. Don't you believe in the doctrines of grace? Well, I definitely believe in grace. But now, what they do, they bring in all their definitions, all their extra-biblical words, all their weird Calvinist teachings in that. And I'm telling you, that's not the way things are in the Scriptures. And that isn't how Paul operated either. So verse 2, Paul said, For I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Oh, he didn't know. He didn't check to see if we were Baptists or Methodists or Pentecostal or independent Baptists, independent fundamental Baptists or independent fundamental premillennials, you know, devil stomping, you know, biscuit eating, chicken eating, you know, you know, all the stuff that we like to do. All those things we like to say. No, I want to know Jesus Christ and him crucified. It's because it's not about who you are, what you know or what your credentials are, but it's about Jesus. That's the most important thing. It's about Jesus. We actually, I think, have that down pretty good when we go soul winning. When we go soul winning, you know, we're mainly trying to get people saved. We're not really there trying to get them to be Baptist. And so what do we do? We try to find out, hey, are they professing Christ? If they're professing Christ. That's great. If they want to have a conversation about being Baptist or whatever, I wouldn't recommend doing it at the door. It's like, hey, we'll come and see what we're all about. If, they, if, if you believe they're saved, but they don't really know what it's like to, you know, what being a Baptist is. And typically, too, if people ask me, while, and so occasionally people ask, you know, what does it mean to be a Baptist? Because a lot of times they're saved, but they don't really know specifically what Baptist means. And I just try to give them as short a definition as possible. Because I'm not really there to teach a lesson on being Baptist. But we'll do that here. We'll do, we'll do that here for sure. But mainly we're trying to find out about Christ. But man loves to create the different categories for people. And we do. We all kind of have our own social pecking order in the Christian world. And this even happens within churches. The Jews definitely had a lot of this nonsense. And you want to know why this is in every religion? You want to know why the Jews did it? And then even these Greek Christians are doing the same thing? Because it's carnal. It's fleshly to do this kind of thing. Why is it the news media are constantly creating groups and labels? Why is it every election, you know, they've got this, this percentage amongst this demographic. They're always talking about, you know, men, women, black, you know, Latino, white, you know, all these different things, always creating these different groups. And then why do they do it? To pit them against each other. They're always doing that. It's carnal. It is the most carnal thing in the world and it's been going on in churches it went on with the jews but in mark chapter 10 verse 41 when jesus or uh, this was after james and john's mother came to jesus asking that james and john sit on his right hand and his left hand in his kingdom now that shows authority if you're on the right hand it shows and on the left hand you're like number one and number two so this is clearly she is asking Will you give my boys? You know, I always told them when they were kids, they could be president someday. But, you know, here they are following you. And you know what? They can be above that. They can sit in your right hand. You know, parents, they're often ambitious for their children. I guess that's not completely wrong. But at the same time, too, this was not a request that she understood. And in verse 41, when the ten heard it, they began to be much displeased with James and John. How dare they try to get promoted above us? You know, because Jesus' disciples were definitely carnal, too. But Jesus, so, but Jesus called them to him and saith unto them, Ye know that they which are accounted to rule over the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, 
and their great ones exercise authority upon them. Hey, the Gentiles are into this kind of thing. That's how they operate. They're always creating ranks and they got all their nobility and they've got all their different higher ups and their lesser class. But so shall it not be among you. But whosoever will be great among you shall be minister and whosoever of you will be chiefest of all shall be servant of all. For the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus said, that's not how I want it in my kingdom. That's, how not, that's not how these things are supposed to be. But the Jews did the same thing. Jesus had to rebuke them for like calling, calling men father, you know, rabbi. They were always using these titles, ways to elevate themselves. You had the Jews. You had your purebreds. But then you had your outcasts of Israel. You had your Samaritans. But then you had those stinking Gentiles as well. That is carnality. Creating all these different things like that. And I'm telling you, this kind of thing goes on in the Baptist world because it's carnal. This is carnality. Carnality. Just every time you see this, just mark it down. People are being carnal. People are being people. And as Christians, we're supposed to be being spiritual, not carnal. So as Christians, when we get involved in this nonsense, there's, it's going to create problems. So verse 3, 1 Corinthians 2, And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. It doesn't sound like Paul is out there just you know having a great time getting followers, elevating himself. No, the work that Paul did, he did it in weakness, in fear, and in trembling. It was not a picnic for him. It was a sacrifice for him. It was a challenge getting this church started and being a blessing to these people and helping them. And Christian Christianity historically, it has not been popular. It has resulted in much trouble in persecution. And if we are popular and admired and respected by the world, we're probably doing something wrong. We're probably, because people too, they'll often talk about Christianity and all the persecuting they've done. And it's like, okay, well that's true if we're talking about Catholics, if we're talking about Protestants, but we Baptists, we're, we're not that, okay? True Christians have never been the oppressors. They have never been the ones killing people. True Christians have never done that. True Christians have never been the ones leading the governments of the world. It's always been the fake ones. It's been the Catholics, the Protestants, and people like that. And true Christians have always been persecuted. They've always been seen as the filth of the world. They've not been liked unless you are, again, one of these higher-ups or just compromisers of epic proportions like good old Billy Balaam Graham. Unless you're somebody like that. So just understand, true Christians, it, it's, it's, it's often been people who are physically weak. They've been poor. As far as, but, and as far as the world is concerned, many times there are people who have been very unsuccessful. I mean, look at the Apostle Paul, all the stuff he went through, the weakness, the beatings, the times in prison. He was not successful as far as the world was concerned. Everywhere he went, there was either, you know, they say there was either a revival or a riot. And if there was a revival, it typically resulted in a riot later and him getting run out of town. He, and so he, Paul dealt with constant difficulty. So verse 4, And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power that your faith should stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. This right here, folks, just let me go after the Calvinists again. You know what you will never, ever, 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 ever see from a Calvinist? Demonstration of the Spirit and of power. You'll never see that. 
You know why? Because they have none. But you know what you will hear? Big fancy words and name dropping of dead men. All the time. That's all you will hear from these people. But, you, that your, but Paul said that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men. We align with the church fathers. All the big names in history, we stand with them. But you know what? You will not, you'll not see from any of these people the power of God. The demonstration of the Spirit. They can't see it. These Calvinists over and over again, just pontificating, just name-dropping all of these so-called greats, talking about Charles Spurgeon, all these people, but they never demonstrate any power at all. When was the last time you met a saved person that got led to the Lord by a Calvinist? It, it just doesn't happen. I mean, has anybody's door ever been knocked on by a Calvinist? Have you ever heard of a Calvinist out being soul winning? They have no demonstration of the Spirit and of power. They only have the wisdom of men. That's all they have. They have great swelling words of vanity. It's all they have. And I just find it one of the most repulsive things. And I am getting very sick and tired of lame Baptists who are giving credibility to Calvinists and talking about them as brothers and as an acceptable thing that we shouldn't be breaking fellowship over, these people violate so much Scripture. Not only is their doctrine bad, but just they display direct violations of Scripture. They do everything completely opposite to what the Apostle Paul talks about in this passage and many others. And what do you do? You have these Christians because our history has been... its you know, A lot of that stuff has been censored throughout time. I mean, folks, it's the good preaching that gets taken off the internet. And you think censorship started with social media, with the internet? Censorship is even easier with books. And the Catholics, they have, they have erased a lot of history throughout time. And Protestant groups have done the same thing. And so guess what? All we're going to have when we go back to periods where these people are in power, we're only going to have their history. That's it. And you probably aren't going to find a lot of the historical evidence of ours that was purposefully removed. I mean, and how do you think it is publishing books in a time and in a place where your doctrine is going to get you killed by the authorities? Literally get you killed by the John Calvins, by the Martin Luthers, by these reformers, reformers of the Catholic Church. And so that you can't find yourself in history. Yeah, it's because your stinking forefathers killed mine. And they burnt their books. And they, just, they destroyed their writing and they've hidden their history. And so because of that, a lot of just lame Baptists who don't know their Bibles, they have, they've listened to these people and it's like, oh, you know, we got to act like we're historical somehow. And so they're compromising with these people. Folks, we don't need to do that. These people, the, these, these reformers, these Calvinists, they are not related to true Christianity. In any way, Paul warned us about the very things that they are actively doing. This is not a message about Calvinism. But again, I, you just can't read these verses and not remind people to stay away from that stuff. Because there's, there's way too much compromise in this area. And so, we don't waste a lot of time teaching all the fancy theological terms. We don't do the constant name-dropping of historical figures. We don't try to attach ourselves to these people to try to legitimize ourselves. You know what we do? We display it in the spirit and power. 
And, we're, and, we're, and how do we do that? We do it by going out and reaching the lost. We display the spirit and power when we can go into housing projects where you can tell somebody's window just got busted out in the one place, where two guys are in cars fighting, cussing each other, about ready to get in a fight, cussing each other out. Things get, and we just, we just do it anyway. And we go, and I don't know how many people we got saved in that apartment complex. But again, that's, that's displaying power right there. We're, any Calvinist, if they, first off, what would a Calvinist have been doing attempting to go soloing in that place? But second of all, when they'd have walked in there and they'd have seen the guys arguing, the busted windows and all that stuff, they'd have just got out of there. Or they, or at two, when the manager came and told them to get out, you know what they'd have done? They would apologize and left. What did we do? I was nice to her. I, you know, pretended to respect her authority. And I humbly, calmly convinced her we had every legal right to be there. And she left us alone. And we, and we got the job done. Listen, Pastor Trendy would be too embarrassed to upset somebody. And give their church a bad reputation or something like that. But I'm telling you, the, uh, the, the things that we see in the, in the Scriptures, we experience these things. We practice these things. And we still are seeing the opposite, the, the negative that Paul talked about. It is alive and well. You know why? Because it's carnality. Okay? It's carnality. And in a, in a world and in a nation that has a Christian history a lot of people want to attach themselves to Christianity, but at the same time, they don't want it the real thing with the Spirit, so they go for the carnal stuff. And so what do they do? They seek after the wisdom. They use the enticing words. They do. They, they align themselves with the men, of, of go along with man's wisdom, but they have no illustration of Spirit and power. None. Absolutely none. And so... If you're, if you're more anxious to talk about history and great men of the past than you are covering the scriptures, you know, then there's probably something wrong. Why can't these people prove their point from the scriptures? Why do they, why do they only name drop dead men? That's all they can do. Prove to me Calvinism is biblical law. This verse completely contradicts it. Would you know Charles Spurgeon was Calvinist? Yeah, and you know what he did? He wrote a book called In Defense of Calvinism because thank God there were people standing up against that junk in Spurgeon's day too. So he did. He had to write a book defending Calvinism. And, he, and, and, I th and you know what? I'd like to find the books written by those guys that he was defending Calvinism from because there was. There was a righteous remnant even back then too. And so, uh, you know, even, even when it, on the subject of prophecy, when it comes to prophecy... Our side hates it when people start distracting and they start talking about different preachers. We're always so anxious to show what the Bible says, but they want to talk, they just want to talk about the antics of some preacher. Oh, did you know this guy believes this? Did you know this guy said that? Hey, how come we're not able to talk about the Bible? You know why? Because they can't. So what do they do? They use man's wisdom. Well, this historical figure was more popular. This historical figure was like, I want to line up with him, not with the crazy people you align yourself with. It's like, well, hey, I'm not the one name dropping people. I'm not name dropping the crazy people. I'm just trying to talk about the scriptures. And that's what Paul wanted to do. He wanted to talk about the scriptures. Verse six, Howbeit we speak wisdom among them that are perfect or complete. Okay, And, and keep that in mind. 
when he's talking about we speak wisdom among them that are perfect, I believe he's referring to saved people here, the spiritual man, not just a natural man. I believe he's referring to the spiritual man here, and I think we'll see that later. Yet not the wisdom of this world, nor of the princes of this world, that come to naught. Did you all see that? The princes of this world, the big names, the leaders. You want to know what's happened to all the big names of the past, good or bad? They died. Okay? The ones that we would like, you know what happened to all of them? They died. The ones that we don't like, you know what happened to all of them? They died. They came, they came to naught. But you know what doesn't die? Scriptures. It's a living Bible. Not the living Bible uh, translation. It's a living Bible. It has life to it. It will never die. And that's what we talk about. That's what we promote. And even though history will probably forget us, and that's okay. History can forget us and Christianity will do just fine. You know why? Because this will still be around. This Bible will still be around after we are long gone, after we are forgotten. This Bible will still be around. And you know what that tells me? There will still be people out there preaching the same, same stuff that we're preaching. We still find evidence of it. It's, it's hard to find. I read that sword article from 1961 where they are combating exactly what we teach. That everybody's trying to say it started just you know 15 years ago. No, they were combating the very thing that we preach about prophecy. You know why? Because this King James Bible was around back then. And there were people that were faithfully preaching it during that time. I'd never heard of any of those people. You know why? Because they got canceled. They didn't get rid of the next sword of the Lord. And you know, but the, the teaching was definitely there. So verse 7, But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew. For had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. And this is referring to the mysteries of the Old Testament Scriptures. There were many things in the Old Testament. In fact, the death, burial, and resurrection... It was in the Old Testament, but it was there in mystery. Because otherwise, the princes would not have crucified the Lord. And that had to happen. That needed to happen. So God told us about it ahead of time, but He told it in mystery form. But now it has been fully revealed. Now we get it. We understand it. And so, while the details of the Gospel were in fact written in the Old Testament, it was in mystery form. Always remember that when the Ruckmanites want to tell you, you can't show me the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. Yes, we can. It's in mystery form. But it's revealed in the New Testament. Everything about the Gospel in the New Testament is pointing us back to the Old Testament to show this is what was foretold. But obviously, it's said in a much clearer way because it's being revealed. It is being revealed. But that mystery... It was there, it was, it was, but it was written in mystery form. Verse 9, But as it is written, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love Him. Now, this passage is often used to talk about heaven, but that is absolutely not what we should do with this passage. Okay, and listen, I, get, I don't know what all awaits us. And that sounds good, man. I have not seen nor ear heard. And you know what? I hasn't seen. Ear hasn't heard. 
what's coming for us, but that's still not what this passage is talking about. So it sounds good, but that's not what this is about. And so it shouldn't be surprising that many don't get this passage right because many people today interpret the Old Testament the same way the Jews who ultimately missed and rejected the Messiah do. That's not good. Okay? And they especially do that with prophecy, and I don't have time, I'm not going to get into that. But many Christians today are literally looking for and waiting for the inferior things of the Old Covenant to come, like another temple, not realizing Jesus provided something so much better. Many dispensationalists are believe in another temple that is to come in the future, where there will be sacrifices. And they will say, not to get, not to get rid of sins, but in, as, as a remembrance of those things. That is wrong. Okay? That is deadly wrong. That's all. That, it, because it just shows they don't understand the Old Covenant. They don't understand the New Covenant. They don't understand prophecy. I, I don't have time to get into all of that, but I'm, just, I'm here today to tell you, that is wrong. There's not going to be another temple with sacrifices unless it's an antichrist one and those will be an abomination for sure. But there will never be another God-sanctioned temple with sacrifices. And never again. Exodus 24, 4. And Moses, because, you know, and if I may chase a rabbit just a little bit, okay, you might say, why did God even give the inferior promises to Israel you know, for this is what I'll do if you keep the law. Because that's what those promises were. God said, I will do this if you keep the law. Everybody goes and looks at those prophecies in the Old Testament that are contingent upon them keeping the law and they're all like, these things have to happen just as they are written. That's impossible. You know why? Because Israel didn't keep the law. If the things happen exactly as written in the Old Testament, then the prophecy was wrong. Because they were contingent on their obedience to the law. But you say, but why did God even give those things in the first place? And let me just tell you, okay, this, this probably deserves a whole sermon. But the reason God gave them the inferior promises based on their obedience to the law, God did that because that is what Israel asked for. Israel asked for it. Where do you get that? Exodus 24.4. This is after Moses goes up into the mountain and receives the law. It says that Moses wrote all the words of the Lord and rose up early in the morning and built an altar under the, under the hill and twelve pillars according to the twelve tribes of Israel. And he sent young men of the children of Israel which offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen unto the Lord. And Moses took half of the blood and put it in the basins and half of the blood he sprinkled on the altar. And he took the book of the covenant and read in the audience of the people. And they said... All that the Lord has said will we do and be obedient. Did y'all hear that? But God takes the covenants that nations make serious. We see that throughout the Bible. They said, we will obey everything that God said to do. And Moses took the blood and sprinkled it upon the people and said, behold, the blood of the covenant, which the Lord hath made with you concerning all these words. So you know why God, so God told them, okay, if you keep the law, here's what you'll get. And they said, and we'll do it. And they made a covenant. And Moses even sprinkled them with blood when they did that. 
But you know what? Israel broke the covenant. Jesus brings in a new and better covenant. And His blood was sprinkled on the mercy seat in heaven. His blood was shed. And so we, don't, we shouldn't be looking for fulfillment of these inferior things. We should be looking for better things. And we find those in the New Testament. In Old Testament eschatology that was based on their works and them keeping the covenant, we do see another temple that would be, that would be coming someday. But guess what? They didn't obey the law. They broke the covenant. So, it's not going to happen. It's just absolutely never going to happen. But, and you say, so God just did that because of that. And, I, you know, somebody asked me this recently. What was Israel supposed to do? Okay, when God gave them that law, there was supposed to be a different response. You say, well, that sounds like a good response. All that the Lord has said we will do. That was the wrong response. And I'll, I'll show you that scripturally too. When Israel received that law, they should not have said, we'll do that. That is not what they should have done. I'll show you that in a minute. But look at verse 10 of 1 Corinthians 2. But God hath revealed them unto us by His Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. So notice, the things that man I have not seen, ear heard. Here it's saying, but God hath revealed them unto us. This isn't about something in heaven in the future. This is something very specific. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of man, save the spirit of man which is in him? Even so the things of God knoweth no man, but the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. Okay? Now, this is, this is what I have not seen or heard. We're going to see this here in just a minute. Okay? But when Israel heard the law, what should they have done? What should the response been? I mean, when God gives a law, shouldn't you look at it and say, yeah, I'll do that. That's what, that's what you should do, but this is, that's not what God wanted. Let me show you what God wanted. Hosea 6.6 6, For I desired mercy and not sacrifice and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. But they, like men, have transgressed the covenant. There have they dealt treacherously against me. You know what God wanted? Mercy. You know what Israel should have done? They should have said, have mercy. That's what they should have done. They should have said, we're too sinful. They should have said, we can't do that. They should have said, Lord, your law is too holy. We are too sinful. We are not good enough. But we want your righteousness. We want to be like you. But we can't do this. Save us. That's what they should have done. But they saw that law and they thought, we can, we can do that. You know, the funny thing, we went to Branson several years ago and we watched the Moses play in the Sights and Sounds Theater. And God gives the law to Moses. They do the Ten Commandments part. It looks really cool. God gives them the law and Moses, in the play, does an appropriate response. And he, said, he, he falls down before God and he says, Lord, this law, it's so holy. Your people, we will never be able to keep this law. And then God tells them, I know. But then He explains how He's going to send a Savior, Jesus, who will save them from their sins. And it's like, well, that's exactly what happened. But that was not the response when that happened. It was like, that's, that's, that's what should have happened. Right, right there. That's what all of Israel should have done. But God said, no, I want mercy, not sacrifice. God didn't care about those sacrifices. 
God wasn't impressed with the blood of animals. But Israel said, we can do that. Israel saw that law, and for some reason they looked at it and they said, we can do that. But the truth is, they couldn't do it. They didn't do it. Matthew 9, 12. But when Jesus heard that, He said unto them, They that be whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. But go ye and learn what that meaneth. I will have mercy and not sacrifice. He's quoting Hosea. I, for I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. You know why? God has always just wanted to show mercy. He never wanted Israel to keep this law and do all these sacrifices and these things of the law to be acceptable to Him. He wanted them to recognize that they were sinners and they wanted to call on Him for salvation. And isn't that exactly what we are going around teaching everybody today? You're a sinner. You cannot, be, you cannot work your way to heaven. You cannot be good enough. Call on the Lord for salvation. Ask for mercy. And ask for it as a free gift. Do not come to God saying... I, you know, I believe in the cross and I'm going to be good too. I'm going to bring my works to the law. I'm going to give my sacrifice. I'm going to do whatever. No, it's all Jesus or nothing. But you know what? The natural man struggles with that. The natural man always wants to find some way to slip some works in there. And you know what? They like listening to any, literally any religion that teaches works can always get some kind of following whether it be just a little bit of works or even a ton of works. Even some of these holiness people that act like they don't sin and probably do sin less than a lot of us in a lot of areas. But even those people, they will go all out. you got monks that will do all these things. you got priests that supposedly are giving their lives over to celibacy and things and living these holy, sanctified lives. They will do all these things trying to earn their salvation. But you know what they don't do? They don't learn from Israel's mistake and just say, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. That's what God's always wanted. That is what God... God was not impressed with that man who went into the temple saying, Lord, I, you know, I fast twice in a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And I'm not like this publican. God didn't care about him. He didn't care about his works and sacrifice. But that one who said, have mercy, that's what God's always wanted. That's what God always wanted Israel to do. Just ask for mercy. And they never would do it. And so when Christ came... This was Israel's chance to get things right this time. Everybody's always talking about this future restoration for Israel that's to come in the future. Like Israel's going to get this second chance because of Old Testament prophecy, not realizing Israel's second chance was when Jesus came. That was their second chance. When, when Christ came the first time on Mount Sinai and He gave them the law, they made the mistake of saying, we can do that instead of asking for mercy. And then when Jesus comes the second time, the second time he comes in a manger and when he comes and he preached his sermon on the mount, they still refused again. That was their chance. That was Jesus coming and fulfilling his end of all the things that he promised to Israel. It was all done during that time. And so now turn over to Isaiah chapter 64, because Paul in this passage too, the eye hath not seen your ear heard. He is referring back to an Old Testament Scripture. Let's take a look at that Old Testament Scripture and see what it says. Isaiah 64, 1, Oh, that thou wouldst rend the heavens, that thou wouldst come down, that the mountains might flow down at thy presence, as when the melting fire burneth, the fire causeth the waters to boil, to make thy name known to thine adversaries, that the nations may tremble at thy presence. When thou didst terrible things which we look not for, thou camest down the mountains flow, 
flow down at thy presence. That is a reference to God coming down on Mount Sinai. Okay? And we don't even have time to go into 2 Corinthians 3. 2 Corinthians 3 specifically refers to this. And we don't have time to read it, but go and read 2 Corinthians 3, 17 through 18. It refers specifically to this event where God comes down on Mount Sinai. Wish we had time to go into that, but I'm, I'm going long tonight. I shouldn't have ranted about the Calvinists, but I couldn't resist. They, 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 they have it coming. Verse 4, but look at verse 4. For since the beginning of the world, men have not heard nor perceived by the ear, neither hath the eye seen, O God, beside thee, what he hath prepared for him that waiteth for him. This is not talking about heaven. Okay? This is contrasting the things of the old covenant from the things of the new covenant. Okay? This is what he's referring to. Thou meetest him that rejoiceth and worketh righteousness. Those that remember thee in thy ways, behold, thou art wroth, for we have sinned. In those is continuance, and we shall be saved. But we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags, and we do all fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. And there is none that calleth upon thy name that stirreth up himself to take hold of thee, for thou hast hid thy face from us, and hast consumed us because of our iniquities. Israel wasn't keeping that law. They promised God they were going to keep. But now, O Lord, thou art our father. We are the clay. Thou art the potter. We are all the work of thy hand. Be not wroth very sore. O Lord, neither remember iniquity forever. Behold, see, we beseech thee. We are all thy people. Thy holy cities are a wilderness. Zion is a wilderness. Jerusalem, a desolation. Our holy and our beautiful house where our fathers praise thee is burned up with fire and all our pleasant things are laid waste. Wilt thou refrain thyself for these things, O Lord? Wilt thou hold thy peace and afflict us very sore? Did you know that this, the way that's worded there, it's like it's already happened, but it hasn't happened yet. And it didn't happen in Isaiah's day. It happened many years later where their house became a desolation and was destroyed. But God promised another chance for Israel. And folks, that chance came. It came and it went. Everybody's reading these Old Testament passages like Jesus never came. But Jesus did come and He gave them another chance and He brought in the New Covenant. The things of the Old Covenant, they were temporary. They vanished away. But the things of the New Covenant are done, completed, and they last forever. These things are no longer a mystery. They have been revealed. What God prepared for us is so much better than what was before. Look at Hebrews chapter 10. Verse 1, For the law having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect, for then would they not have ceased to be offered, because that the worshippers once purged should have no more conscience of sins. Again, under the law, those things would have had to go on forever. Which is why we read about the Ezekiel temple and things like that. But in those sacrifices, there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. We see in Isaiah, it referred to that remembrance. Okay, And that is what the law would do. That's what the sacrifices did. It constantly brought a remembrance of those things. But it says, For it is impossible that the blood of goats, bulls and goats should take away sins. Wherefore, when he come to the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offerings thou wouldst not, but a body hast thou prepared. So what Isaiah wrote about, and I wish I had more time to expound on this and prove this, but what Isaiah wrote about, but did not understand in verse 4, 
It was the things of the cross in contrast to the things of the temple. The things of the temple were not making Israel righteous. The things of the law were not making Israel righteous. But I had not seen nor ear heard, neither had it even entered into the heart of man, the things that God had prepared for them that love Him. And you want to know what that is? It was Jesus on the cross. Okay? It's not a mystery anymore, folks. It's been revealed to us. It was Jesus on the cross and what He, what he did was so much better because Jesus went and He made a one-time sacrifice and then He went and He sat down on the right hand of the Father. You know what it means? He was done. It's finished. It's, it's complete. But under that old covenant system, they've got to do these things forever and they weren't getting it done. So theoretically, if Israel obeys the law, they have to keep obeying the law forever. And because those things are never going to completely take away sins. But they weren't getting it done. Judgment is coming. Their temple is going to become a desolation. But God was not done with Israel. You know why? God had something better prepared for them. You know what it was? It was Jesus Christ. He was their second chance. So all of these things of the old, all these prophecies of the Old Testament where God's going to do all these things for Israel, God did them. He did them with Jesus Christ. And for some reason, prophecy guys obsessed with fake Jews, obsessed with fake Jews insist that God must do something special in the future for the false religion of the synagogue of Satan. That's baloney. That's absolutely baloney. Listen, I has now seen, ear has heard. It has been revealed to that which is complete. It's been revealed to the saved. God removed the things of the old covenant and He brought in the new through the body and blood of Jesus Christ. It is finished, done, complete, forever. But natural man can't get it. The natural man cannot get that. Look what it says in verse 13. Which things also we speak. Not in words which man's wisdom teacheth, like dispensationalism, you know, all these big fancy theological terms. No. But which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Oh, you guys spiritualize way too much of that stuff in the Old Testament. Yeah, you know why? Because those carnal things pointed to spiritual things because carnal things aren't going to save anybody and make anybody complete. God used spiritual things. He used Jesus. You all are still looking for fulfillment in an ethnicity and in a physical nation. We find fulfillment in Jesus Christ. That You say that's spiritual. If, that, if that's spiritualizing, I'm spiritualizing. But that's what God did. That's what God provided. They're still looking for the same thing that the natural Jews are looking for. We're looking for the things that are spiritual. It says, But he that is spiritual judgeth all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. Um, for, or I, I skip verse 14. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. I get worried when people scoff at us talking about how Christ fulfilled all these things and they're not going to be fulfilled through an ethnicity. That sounds like, why are you scoffing? Why can you not seem to grasp this spiritual truth? I don't know. Natural men can't receive. I'm not saying everybody who d- disagrees with us about Israel is unsaved. I'm just saying, though, but you, when you're just 
it's not that they just disagree. It's like they have no idea what we're talking about a lot of times. That concerns me very much. But, but he that is spiritual judgeth all things. Yet he himself is judge of no man. But who hath known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. And that's what they're doing. They're demanding that things happen the way their prophecy preachers say they're going to happen or God broke His promise to Israel. Um, wait, are you trying to instruct God through those things of the law? That's not how that works. Okay? He fulfilled these things through spiritual things and they have been revealed. They're fulfilled through Christ. And you know, man can understand eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. Man can understand remembrance of sins and sacrifices. But what the natural man cannot seem to get a hold of is how Jesus took care of literally everything once and for all under the new covenant. And there, there are so many common objections that the laws come up with that they must absolutely forsake in order to be saved. Because think about this, in light of everything we've talked about and what Paul is addressing in this chapter, the way someone is saved is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Their salvation is a spiritual salvation that one day at the return of Christ will become a physical salvation as well. That's what we believe. But anything other than believe on the Lord Jesus Christ is always some kind of works-based system that the natural man is perfectly capable of understanding and agreeing with. And they always do. What is missing for these people? It's not their intellect. It's not their inability to get a hold of certain facts because it's simple. I mean, how much more simple than believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved can you get? What do they lack? You know what they lack? Not intelligence, not IQ, and faith. They lack faith. And it, oh wait, yeah, we teach you're saved by grace. I mean, no works, you didn't deserve it, through faith. It, it, it's not that the message is difficult, it's simple, but it requires faith. And so, we see this all the time. I, I, when we went to uh, Little Palestine, I talked to the Muslim man who scoffed at the idea of someone dying for the sins of the others. Boy, he was hostile to that. No, you die for your own sins. You can't die for the sins of somebody else. And I told him, I said, no, it had to be that way because we all have our own sins. It had to be someone innocent. And, there, and he scoffed at that. There was no way that, that that could be. And part of his problem, he didn't see himself as sinful. You can't be saved without recognizing that you're sinful. That made no sense to that natural man. Made no sense at all. But there are, there are some things that the lost will never come to grip with. And the reason for that is one must believe the gospel first before they're going to get a hold of all these spiritual truths. The Jews will never understand the Old Testament without recognizing Jesus as the Messiah. And so to, to bring all this back into the context of the previous chapter and the next chapter... We need to understand, since we're supposed to be all about the spiritual, okay, we should not be getting caught up in petty, carnal divisions. We have much more important things to focus on. And let me tell you something. It's always the petty, carnal things that disrupt things in churches and ultimately get in the way of advancing the gospel. And at the end of the day, it's just carnality. That, that's what we should be avoiding. And so, chapter 2, is, uh, there's some deep things in chapter 2, but chapter 3, 
we're going right back to some like real practical, slap us in the face type stuff because we all know how to get carnal. It's the easiest thing in the world to do. And so with that, let's pray to you. Lord, we thank you so much for this wonderful chapter. Lord, we just thank you so much for what you revealed to us. And uh, Lord, it is, it's, it's, things like this are just incredible. Uh, the way the Bible just puts everything together, there's no doubt. Uh, this is your book. Man couldn't come up with something like this. And I pray you'll just help us as we try to spread this spiritual message uh, of the new covenant and, and faith in you. And I pray you'll help us be successful. In your name we pray. Amen.